Good morning. Our call to worship is from Psalm 25. You'd stand. We will sing together. The paths of the Lord are steadfast love and soul. Oh my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Indeed, none who wait for you shall be put to shame. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all the day long. steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. Serve us, living 
pray. Father, out of love, out of the power of your spirit, you called forth the heavens and earth, gave shape to the void and life and purpose to all that lives, and you called it very good. In the power of that spirit, you pursued us and gathered us to yourself, that we might have life, that we together might proclaim life. Here in the shadow of your wings, we see, seek refuge in your justice and come to delight in your mercy. We turn to you in confusion as the powerful make war and reap destruction to ends we cannot understand. We bring to you the slights and stains that we can't seem to put behind us. We lay before you our bodies, wounded and weary, our hearts heavy with mourning and worry. We relinquish our petty arrogance and our greed. Father, we pray that you soften our hearts, that we may be attentive to your word, that we may receive life. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Um, children are just missed for children's worship. Um, we will now continue our service through a time of confession. We'll do so corporately through word and song, and then we'll have a time for a silent personal confession. God of mercy, you sent Jesus Christ to seek and to save the lost. We confess that we have strayed from you and turned aside from your way. We are misled by pride, for we see ourselves pure when we are stained and great when we are small. We have failed in love, neglected justice, and ignored your truth. Have mercy, O God, and forgive our sin. Return us to paths of righteousness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Come, ye sinners, for and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus, ready, stands to save you. silent personal confession.
Father, we confess that we have wandered. We have been weak and willful. We have hurt others and diminished ourselves in doing so. But your word tells us that you will not break a bruised reed. So we ask that you restore us to you and reconcile us to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the words of assurance. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. As we have been welcomed by God, let us welcome one another. Sing verse 5. 
Old Testament lesson comes from Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And today's gospel lesson comes from John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the, this is the word of the Lord. Good morning. It's good to worship with you. Carolyn, thanks for reading uh, God's word for us. Uh, we're going to continue uh, this morning our sermon series during Lent on looking at the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. Um, Hebrews uh, has a theme in which it speaks over and over again about the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. And that greatness, one of the ways it's expressed is by identifying Jesus as our high priest, our high priest. And so uh, Hebrews has a lot of things in it going on, different references to the scriptures, and it can at times feel a distance culturally, uh, the idea even of, of a high priest. And so, so last week when we first started this series, we defined a high priest as one who mediates, one who mediates or acts as a bridge between God and his people. And so we're invited to think how Jesus represents God to us and then represents us before God. Jesus reveals or radiates God's holiness, his character, his mercy, his faithfulness to us. And then as our representative before God, he shares, Jesus shares in our flesh and blood. He knows what it is to be tested, and he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses. It's helpful to remember that this book of Hebrews that speaks of the greatness of Jesus, it was written to Christians who at that time were facing all sorts of pressures and uncertainty and suffering. And it encourages them and, and us 
to remember and to hold on to Jesus. Remember, Jesus is our mediator, which means he joins us. Remember, God does not leave us to face sin and death on our own, does not leave us to navigate and face the challenges of life on our own. For to call him a high priest means that Jesus joins us. He stands with his people. So we're going to continue this series, and we're going to look at a passage from Hebrews chapter 7 this morning. And we're going to see how Jesus, as our high priest, gives us what our passage calls a better hope. A better hope. So let's look at our passage. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11, then 15 through 28. You can follow in your order of worship or in your Bible. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than the one named after the order of Aaron? This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced, through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. But this one was made by a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like, the, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appointed men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Lord, we thank you that you speak to us by your word, and we pray that your spirit would help us to hear it and understand it this day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, you don't need me to tell you there's a lot going on in these passages here, and uh, we're going to ask two questions to help us try to understand it and then see how God is speaking to us uh, through it. And the the two questions I want to ask this morning is what is meant by perfection? What is meant by perfection? And then how is Jesus a better hope? How is Jesus a better hope? So let's, let's start by this first question, what is meant by perfection? And, and maybe you noticed as we read that this language of perfection is used three times in our passage. It, it, it opens that way. If perfection had been attainable through the Levitical or the Old Testament priests, why would we need another priest to come? 
And then in the middle it says, the law, the law perfected nothing. And then it closes, the law appointed men and their weakness as high priests. But the word of oath appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. So it seems like a good place to start by asking what is meant by perfect or perfection. And I want to start by mentioning the Grand Canyon. We went to the Grand Canyon a few years ago as a family, and we did not hike all the way down to the bottom, but we did go part of the way on a path, the Bright Angel Path. Maybe some of you have been there. And the path is, is beautiful. It's also terrifying at times. It's, there's winding, winding, there's switchbacks, kind of making your way down into the steep canyon. But one thing you can say about the path, at least that we were on, is you can't get lost. You cannot get lost on this path. Unfortunately, you could fall off the path. Unfortunately, I don't, you know, that didn't happen. But you cannot get lost. There's really only two directions. There's going up or there's going down. And there's many, many signs along the way that tell you to be careful about how far down you go because you have to go back up. Yeah, be mindful of this. You only can go up or down. You can't get lost. And I mention that as a, you know, as a reference because that's really not how the rest of life works, right? We are constantly surrounded by different paths to choose, constantly surrounded by different choices, many different options. And how do we know the way to go? How do we know the way to go? And the key to answering this question is to ask another question, is where are we headed? What is the, where's our, we want to arrive? You know, if you think about Google Maps, what is the destination you're putting in into that little bar? Our goal, where we're headed, determines the right direction, determines if you're going the right way or if you become lost. And I share this image of the canyon and the idea of, of finding our, our path or where we're headed because this Greek word translated perfection is not about that we do everything right. The word actually is primarily about reaching your intended end, reaching your purpose, your telos in Greek. So perfection asks us, when we think about this language, what is our purpose? What does completeness or maturity look like? And here we need to remember the broader story. There, there's a number of ways that that question can get answered, but at least in a very broad sense, we can remember the Bible story in which God tells us that each of us were made in God's image and that all of us were made for relationships, for connection, that we're created to live in connection to God, connection to ourselves, connection to others, our neighbors, and connection to creation. And if that's the way we think about who we are, then it, we can begin to think through or flesh out what finding the right path could look like, Right? When we think about a path, we could think about our, our talents or our resources. The end of being connected to God and to others tells us that our, our gifts, our resources, our talents are not fundamentally about accumulating wealth. They're not fundamentally about gaining status. Rather, the path is that these gifts are given that we might cultivate creation or might share and bless others that we might give thanks to the one who's given us these gifts, or that we might even be able to know ourselves by expressing them. What is the path? Well, if our purpose is to live in connection to God and to ourselves, others, and creation, then we can also see that growth or maturity, it's not measured in degrees, 
not ultimately measured in titles or even by your age. Rather, this way of destination tells us it's measured in our ability to love. Maturity looks like learning how to love. Do I love God? Seek to live my life in response to God. Do I love my neighbor? A willingness to serve others rather than clinging to myself or my things. Perfection invites us to think about our purpose. We're made for connection. At the center of those connections is our relationship with God. For out of those flow our connection to ourselves and to our neighbors and to this world. But scripture tells us something else along with that we're made for connection and relationship. Scripture tells us because of human sin, my turning away from God to honor myself, my turning away from neighbors to simply care for myself, has brought separation. Separation to every relationship with God, myself, with others in this world. We forget our purpose, we lose our way, and we know this to be true. Imagine each one of us could articulate ways in which we've experienced that or expressed that lostness, maybe even just this morning. It's in light of this separation that one of the questions that runs throughout really the Bible, sometimes directly spoken, but often just kind of in the background, is this question, does God, does God, the one who made us, does God leave us in our isolation and separation? Does God leave us in our sin and misery? In Hebrews, in this passage, it might not be obvious right away, but it's inviting us, when we think about our purpose, inviting us to feel the, the depths of separation, to, to feel the ache or the longing to be reconnected to God and maybe even to ourselves and to those around us. And if we think about that reality, about what our passage is inviting us to consider, then maybe we can think of the image of a bridge. The, the, the bridge, this possibility that we could go over what separates a, a bridge that can connect us back to what has been divided. And I'm not, maybe as we think about a bridge, we can not just think about, you know, the little bridges maybe over the Chicago River. Those are awesome. They look really cool, especially when they go up. But we can think also of the, the vast bridges that maybe we've gone over. The Mackinac Bridge, which I looked up, this, this, the span of that bridge is just under 4,000 feet where it's being suspended. And the Golden Gate Bridge, maybe you've been to San Francisco, you can think about the vastness of going over that space. It's 4,200 feet. When I was driving across the Mackinac Bridge for the first time, I was with some fam a family friends, and the father explained to me and my, my friend that every time they finish painting the bridge, they have to start over again and start painting it again. I looked it up. It, at least the Internet tells me it's true. <laughs> every seven years, they complete it and start over again. I also discovered that the longest suspension bridge in the world is in Turkey, yeah, over 6,000 feet long. But I invite us to think about the, uh, the possibility of going over this large separation or this gap. We want to get to the other side, but, but how do we do so? Because our passage, it, it identifies some of the ways that we might try or some of the things that have been <clears throat> unsuccessful. That's why it talks about the law and the, old, the other priests like it says, the law, it, it couldn't perfect anybody. The law couldn't complete anything. It could tell you what you've done wrong. It could give you true instruction, but it can't get you from one side of the divide to the other. 
It can just point out the fact that you really long for things to be different. And the passage also says, look, there was these Old Testament priests from, from the tribe of Levi. And they were called by God to play this function. But really all they could do was, with, was stand with other human beings. And they could, point, they could point to where we want to be. They could point and say, we want to be connected back to that God. We want to be able to acknowledge that we've done wrong or that things have hurt us or that there is a God who has mercy towards us. But they could not make the bridge themselves either. And so the whole point of this opening idea of perfection, of completeness, of arriving where we're meant to arrive, is to see that this whole concept of a high priest and the arrival of Jesus was to speak to the question, does God leave us in our separation in our isolation. No. He sends a son to do what the law could not do, what other priests could not do. And think about this. It's because we needed someone to come to us. We didn't just need someone to tell us the, the, the right ways to live. We didn't even just need someone to point us in the right direction. We needed someone to come to us. And so when God sent Jesus as the high priest, the bridge, that's why he came and the scriptures make clear over and over again that he knew our suffering. He knew what it was to be a human being. He entered into our shame and to our sin. He even entered into our death because he had to go to the deepest places. He had to fully find us. And not only does he then join us and find us, but the image of the priest and the bridge means that he came back to God. Hebrews says he blazed a trail. He became the pioneer, leading us back to reconnect us to God, doing what the law could not do, doing what the priest, human priest could not do, forming a connection to God that we could walk upon and experience. He fully walked the path and fully arrived at the goal. That's what was means by the end of our passage, when Jesus was perfect forever. He arrived, and he can bring us as well. It's in Jesus that we see that God takes serious our hurt and our suffering, our sin, but there's something else as well. There is love and faithfulness and mercy. So Jesus is this bridge, reminding us who we are and that there's a work in our life to reconnect us to God. And the hope being that by the Spirit of God, that out of that connection, we might begin to experience the other connections anew. So that's what's meant by perfection. That the idea of asking who we are and where we're headed and how Jesus is the bridge connecting us back to God. And the second question I want us to ask then is how is Jesus a better hope? How does he secure a better hope for you and for me? And what I hope that we can hear today, as we read in the passage, is that he secures a better hope because the connection that he establishes is lasting and secure. Jesus establishes a connection, reconnecting us to God, and it's lasting and secure. And our passage highlights a couple of ways in which that's true. The first one I want us to see is that he is described as an eternal or forever priest through the power of an indestructible life or an endless life. He's an eternal priest through the power of an indestructible life. So what, what's being said here? Look, they're saying, look, there was a long succession of Levitical priests, these priests that were in the Old Testament from the line of Aaron and of Levi, 
they all held office, but eventually they died. There had to be plenty of priests from generation to generation. But by sharp contrast, Jesus continues as a priest forever. No more priests, no more mediators are needed. And in order to help us grasp this different nature of Jesus' priestly work, our passage cites that kind of the different basis or the foundations for being called a priest. Look, in the Old Testament, the priests were given this office because of their ancestry, because they came from a certain line, a certain tribe. But Jesus' priesthood is founded on something else. If we could go back to the kind of the bridge image, if we could picture these large suspension bridges and think about the, the kind of the pylons that go deep into the bedrock that hold up that bridge. We're being invited to say, what, what is it that Jesus has? And it's that he rose from the dead. The pylon, the thing that goes deep into the bedrock is that he died but rose and that he's exalted to the right hand of God, vindicated as the son of God. Therefore, he arises as a different type of priest, a priest because God has declared him, not because he was born to a certain person, but God declared, you are a priest forever. You're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And we can say, what now? What, what is that name? What is happening now, right? Hebrews is pulling out a name from Genesis 14, and that's referenced also in Psalm 110. Melchizedek was this kind of mysterious figure who was the king of Salem, the priest of the God Most High. And he meets Abraham early in Abraham's kind of life where Abraham's returning from victory over some other kings in the area. And Abraham receives Melchizedek's blessing and he gives him a tithe. He gives Melchizedek 10% of all of his possessions. And along with this priestly blessing and absence, there is an absence of any reference to Melchizedek's beginning or end, making him in the scriptures like a symbol, a symbol of an endless life. He's a priest forever. And so the stress here is here's a priesthood not based on lineage, but by, based on by God's oath. Here's a kingly priest who can accomplish what others cannot. And Jesus is of this order. The key thing is he's a better hope because he knows our weakness, he knows our testing, our suffering, and our death, but he's also the risen one. That separation and suffering and sin and death are not the end of the story. He entered these realities, but he walks out as the vindicated son of God. He was not defeated by them. Alive forever, he establishes a bridge that cannot be destroyed. So we can ask you, how does this eternal priest introduce a better hope? I just want to highlight one more thing. He establishes a covenant that's lasting and secure. And the second reason our passage says is that he always lives to make intercession for us. He always lives to make intercession for us. One of the verses in our passage says, consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost, meaning that is completely or perfectly, those who draw near to God through him. Since or because he lives always to make intercession for them. At all times, to the very end, we're being told, Jesus connects us to God 
as our intercessor. Now that might, that's a word that we don't use a great deal, probably. To act as an intercessor is to stand with someone, to act on their behalf, to speak on their behalf. And so if we can picture in our minds what we're being invited to see in the heavenly realms, in the throne room of God, in this spiritual reality, Jesus stands with you and me. I picture his hand upon my shoulder saying, this is my brother. This is my sheep that I laid my life down for. This one is with me. We're being told that that's the case for all who are in Christ. And that intercession, that standing with us, that joining with us is always. He always continues to do so. And that, that's true. If that's true, what that means is that we don't need to find another route, another bridge. We don't need to somehow climb ourselves you know, through, the, through the abyss. That we're safe in his care. There's no time now or in the future which we'll stand by ourselves. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid that, that while Jesus' intercession is great, there'll be a time where he has to be replaced by another priest who might not be so great because his will endure forever. Therefore, we need not be afraid that someone or some event will interrupt this because nothing can interrupt his intercession. He's faced all of sin and suffering and death and walked through them. This is what Romans 8 means when Paul says that there's nothing in this life nor death itself can separate us from God's love in Christ. So our passage asks us what our purpose is and, and how Christ connects us to it. But I suggest maybe it also asks us if we're tired of standing on our own. Or maybe whether tired of even believing that that's what's required of us. That you stand on your own to give an account. Or you stand on your own to face the challenges that come to you. You stand on your own to face your shame. Jesus, as our high priest who always intercedes, tells us that we do not stand on our own. That by faith we receive the gift that he's given to us. This is the good news of his priesthood and why it's a better hope. It's a better hope than being told what to do. A better hope than being pointed in the right direction. A better hope than standing by yourself. For he lives forever with an indestructible life. And in his living forever, he stands on our behalf forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are. We thank you for the wonder that you did not leave us in our isolation and separation, did not leave us even in our guilt and what we brought upon ourselves, but that you sought us out, not only to find us, but to bring us back to you. We pray, Lord, that we would know that connection this day and the assurance and their hope that it gives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand and join us in singing? is one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord she is his new
Having heard God's word, or now invited to the table that God sets for his people. In our passage, we are told how the priests of old had to give sacrifices daily, first for their own sins and the sins of the people, but it's different with Jesus, our high priest, who once for all offered himself. And so this table is a reminder, as we gather, we don't make new sacrifices we don't have to daily offer this sacrifice again to God. But rather, Jesus has once for all laid down his life, offered himself up that we be reconnected to God. This table gives witness to that once for all sacrifice. This table remembers what Jesus has accomplished once for all. And so as we come today, it's a chance to remember God's actions and love for you. Why did he send his son because of his great love for you, that we would not just live in our separation, but be reconnected to him, knowing the depth of our need, but also the depth of his mercy. So if you know of your sin and need before God, and have placed your hope in Christ as the one who mediates between you and God, the one who offered himself up once for all that we'd be reconciled to God, if you believe that, then come and eat and drink of this table. Be reminded, be nourished by that truth. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, let this table be a witness, an invitation that this is who God is, who desires to be close to you. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this table, and we pray that you set apart these elements for a special use, and that your spirit would meet us and minister to us. We pause and we give you thanks, Jesus, for your once-for-all sacrifice, that you found us and led us back to Christ in yourself. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, on the night that he was betrayed, after giving thanks, Jesus took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For as often we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Before I give the instructions to coming to the table, I want to highlight one thing that you'll see in your order, that we're glad to invite Mabel Globkey and Olivia Keekstra to come and take communion for the first time today. I had the privilege of meeting with them recently to talk about their faith in Jesus and desire to take communion. And so we're glad to and celebrate them participating in the table uh, today for the first time. For Mabel and Olivia and for all of us who are 
participate in communion, you can come down the center aisle and receive the bread and the cup and go back on the sides. I ask that you, if you're able, you'd hold the elements until everyone's been served, that we can eat and drink together uh, as one family. If you're not participating in communion, uh, we're glad that you're here and still invite you to come forward. Just put your arm across your chest, and Pastor Brian and I can offer a prayer of blessing for you here at the table. Those who are serving can come forward now. Let us receive the gifts that God has for us.
Christ's body was broken to make us whole. Let us eat in faith. Christ's blood was shed to cover all of our sins. Let us drink in faith. In response to this table, I invite you to stand that we can pray and sing as God's people together. Lord Jesus Christ, you have made known to us the loving kindness of God and that we are saved not because of our righteous works, but according to his mercy. With thankfulness, let us proclaim the mystery of faith. of Jesus Christ living in this world, which some seek to control, but which others view with despair, we declare with joy and trust, our world belongs to God. From the beginning, through all the crises of our times, until his kingdom fully comes, God keeps covenant forever. Our world belongs to him. Let the earth be glad. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to continue uh, worshiping through a time of, of giving our offering and giving gifts to God in response to his generosity. Uh, so the greeters are going to come forward in just a moment. Uh, there's a gray basket you can put your communion cup in, and then there's also a silver offering plate if you'd like to give a gift to the church. You can also do so uh, through the website or through information. You'll see information in your order of worship. Uh, but I want to say welcome. Glad that we can gather and worship together today. Especially if you are visiting or just started coming recently, uh, welcome. We're glad that we can be here together. After the service, there is a time of coffee and hospitality uh, in the hallway right behind me. So I hope that you can stay after and have a chance to, for us to get to know each other better. Also, if you're sitting in the center aisle, uh, I invite you to look, reach under your chair, and there's a black information pad under that chair. You can pick it up and fill it out and then pass it down. You can know who you're worshiping with. Uh, also, then, if you, are, um, you want to share your information with the church, we're happy to receive that and be able to follow up and, and tell you more about it. Um, one last thing just to make sure that people know that's coming on the uh, uh, 24th of March we'll have an intro to LSBC lunch uh, this lunch is right after the church service and it's for anyone whether you've been coming a short time or a long time anyone that wants to get to know the church better learn more about our beliefs and values and what it means to be a member so if you're interested in that it's on March 24th um, at the community space around the corner just let me know if you're interested. Let's continue worshiping by the giving of our gifts to God.
please rise for the singing of the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here God's blessing. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you now and always. You may go in peace. Amen.